Hello, I'm WMUR Political Director Adam Sexton. Thanks for joining us for a special edition of The Trail from New Hampshire to the White House. In this edition, we focus on the ones to watch, showcasing the large field of declared and potential presidential candidates. We begin with President Donald Trump and how his run in 2016 changed the way many view this process. Something to consider in this primary? The possibility that he may face a Republican challenger. But as many saw last time around, Trump's presence on the campaign trail is a political force that cannot be underestimated. In the 2016 primary, Donald Trump wasn't necessarily the candidate Republican voters wanted. 64% of them cast ballots for someone else, from John Kasich to Ted Cruz to Jeb Bush. But Trump turned out to be exactly who Republicans needed to defeat Hillary Clinton. And over the last four years, he and the loyal supporters we first met during his campaign have redefined American politics. If people are not going to do the right thing, okay, and you know you're right, you got to trounce on them. But a new primary is on the horizon just a year away, and Trump may face opposition from within his own party. Former Ohio Governor John Kasich has left the door wide open to making some kind of challenge to President Trump, and several prominent Republicans were on hand in Concord as he essentially told them to be ready for his next move. My problem with the president is I don't I can't remember a time in our country where our leaders divided us. Kasich senior advisor Tom Rath says he expects Trump to face a contested primary. Whether it's it's warranted or not, I believe there there will be one at, at some level and if it's going to happen anywhere it will probably happen here. First in on the Republican side could be Bill Weld, the former governor of Massachusetts. Weld, who was on the Libertarian ticket in 2016 with presidential candidate Gary Johnson, told WMUR he will make his plans known soon when he visits New Hampshire. Former Arizona Senator Jeff Flake has said he is not running, but current Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who is expected to be in Iowa in March for a National Governors Association visit, hasn't ruled anything out. Former NHGOP Chair Jennifer Horn says Republicans need a primary to determine whether they're still the party of Lincoln or if they're now the party of Trump. It's not just about we should primary Donald Trump. It's primaries are good. They allow us the opportunity as a party to uh, you know, discuss and debate those principles and those core values about who we are as a party. Nearly a dozen current or former U.S. senators, including the ones you see here, are mulling a run for the White House. Among the declared candidates, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Warren has already held several events in New Hampshire and continues to take on President Trump. She's traded barbs with him on Twitter for years. She says her campaign will focus on helping average Americans succeed. New Hampshire is a place where you get a chance to talk to people face to face, house to house, family to family, and a real opportunity to hammer through and say, not the noise, how are we really going to make change? I'm not a professional politician. I came to this very late. My life has been about just kind of this central question, and that is what's happening to working people in this country? Why has the road gotten so rocky for so many families, and rockier still? for families of color. That's what pulls me into this fight, is 
pushing on this and recognizing the decisions made in far off Washington are decisions that time after time after time help the wealthy and the well-connected. They just don't help people, people across New Hampshire and people across this country. This is our chance to talk about that. Right now, Washington works great for giant drug companies, but not for people trying to get a prescription filled. Washington works great for companies that run private prisons, but not for communities of color and families that are being destroyed by, by the process. Washington works great for student loan outfits that make zillions of dollars, but not for young people who are trying to get an education. We need to call that out for what it is, corruption, and we need to make changes in Washington, not just change one law here or one law there, but big structural change so that our government, our government, works again, not just for the rich and the powerful, but works again for all the people. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York says she's running and she has a connection to the Granite State already. She graduated from Dartmouth in 1988. She was just in New Hampshire making several stops around the state saying creating economic opportunity for the next generation is a top priority. I'm running for president because I really believe that all of us are called to make a difference and I feel like I have to fight for your kids as hard as I would fight for my own. And that's why we need to make sure healthcare is a right, not a privilege, better public schools, making sure anybody can earn their way into the middle class and live the American dream and take on the battles that are necessary to make that happen. This is not a small moment in our history and I believe all Americans have to understand and feel if they don't feel what's right, they have to fight for what they believe in. And they have to fight for this democracy, restore the democracy to the people, uh, take on the special interests and the green corruption that make everything impossible and fight for health care as a right and fight for better public schools and better job training so people can provide for their kids. It's really that simple. It's the basic things that matter in life. Another senator officially in the race started visiting New Hampshire before the 2018 midterm elections. New Jersey's Cory Booker. Booker first gained national attention as the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and says now is the time to change America. Uh, you just jumped into this race. Just share with us a little bit about what pushed you over the edge. Why do you want to be president of the United States? All across this country, too many people are losing their faith in this nation's ability to solve our problems. People are feeling left out, left behind. And in fact, uh, many people are believing that the forces tearing us apart as a nation are stronger than those forces that bind us together in common purpose. I don't believe that, and I'm running for president to challenge that, to change that, to show us that the lines that divide us are nowhere near as the ties that bind us, and that we as a nation more than ever have to pull together to address the unfinished business of America. I want this to be run on the people, be about the people, uh, and so I'm looking forward to getting back to the kind of retail politics that got me into politics in the first place, putting my heart, my spirit, my energy and ideas before the people of New Hampshire and earning their respect and eventually, God willing, uh, or earning their votes. It's safe to say New Hampshire is very important to your strategy. Not just important, it's essential to our strategy so that we can, again, be a generation that gives to our children a nation better than we inherited with more hope, more opportunity. 
Several more senators are trying to make the leap from Capitol Hill to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Mike Cronin has a look at the Senate field, and Mike, it's a pretty big one. That's right, Adam. The U.S. Senate produced the last Democratic president, Barack Obama. And as Democrats hope to retake the White House, these senators are looking to take advantage of their experience. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar has just jumped into the 2020 primary field. She's in her third term and says the Democrats need voices from the Midwest this time around. I don't have a political machine. I don't come from money. But what I do have is this. I have grit. She joined Senator Kamala Harris of California, who has a strong background in law as a district attorney and state attorney general. Harris announced her run for president on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, saying her upbringing and experience make her an ideal candidate. My entire career has been focused on keeping people safe. It is probably one of the things that motivates me more than anything else. Oregon's Jeff Merkley, one of the more progressive Democrats in the Senate, is no stranger to the Granite State in recent months. He's been critical of Republicans on a range of issues, including the GOP tax bill. They borrowed a trillion and a half dollars from our children to give away to the richest Americans. That's not government of by and for the people. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown just visited the Granite State after traveling to Iowa on what he termed a dignity of work tour. Brown made a point of going to the city of Berlin during his first trip to New Hampshire this year. New Hampshire matters. It's one of the very few states that matters both in the primaries, obviously, as we know in this country and in the general election. It's a swing state like Ohio is with a lot of the same kinds of problems. I've not had this lifetime dream to be president of the United States. And since my reelection in November in Ohio, uh, we began to think about, I mean, it, it, too many Democrats think that you choose between talking to your progressive base and talking to workers about their lives. And I think you don't win in New Hampshire or Ohio or a whole lot of swing states unless you do both. And um, that's who I am, fighting for workers and as a progressive and what I think the message of the Democratic Party should be. There has been speculation that Colorado Senator Michael Bennett is considering his own run, telling reporters at one point he is wondering if he can play a role in leadership that confronts the country's problems. In U.S. history, 16 senators have gone on to occupy the White House, including New Hampshire's Franklin Pierce. Thanks, Mike. And the senator who won New Hampshire's Democratic primary in 2016 still has a very strong following. Coming up, what Senator Bernie Sanders getting into the race would mean with more progressives in the field this time around. Plus, potential contenders coming from every level of government, from congressional seats to the mayor's office. Our one-on-one -on -one conversations include one with former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who may be getting into this race as a Democrat. And what are voters looking for this time around? We'll hear from some of you and the party strategists trying to answer that question too. People aren't in any rush to make their pick. They, they don't want to mess this one up. Therefore, what we start here in New Hampshire today, I believe must succeed next summer and next November. Our thanks and our joy goes out to you, the people of New Hampshire. This was the way I want to continue campaigning, meeting the people of this country as I was able to meet you, so many of you. Oh, good to meet you. Well, nice to see you. I know I didn't vote for you. Well, good. Well, you got to get it. But I'm not going to guarantee that. Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR, but it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just two taps brings you back in the know.
Welcome back. In the 2020 primary field, we're watching several possible presidential candidates on the Democratic side who have served or are currently members of the U.S. House. That includes the first Democrat to officially enter the race. Former Congressman John Delaney of Maryland has been to the Granite State more than a dozen times already and now has an office open here. While he's put a heavy focus on Iowa, he says New Hampshire is just as important to his strategy. I've learned from the people of New Hampshire that a lot of them are struggling, right, despite the fact that we see kind of this good economic data on a, on a kind of a high level, on a macro level, what's, what's kind of down at, in people's families and in their homes is not the same story we see when we see the stock market going up and, and things like that. I hear a lot about the opioid crisis that's obviously hitting this state particularly hard. I hear a lot of anxiety from families worrying, will their kids have a job here in New Hampshire? Or are they going to have to commute to Boston? Or are they going to have to move out of this area? So I hear those kind of concerns that you expect people to have, things that are affecting their families, their children, opportunities for, for their kids. Will they be able to stay in their communities? What's happening with their job? They're worried about how technology and automation, we were just talking about that as it relates to, to this uh, wonderful set we're, we're sitting on, how technology is changing everything. They're worried, will this be disrupting their jobs? So there's a lot of anxiety out there. And they're obviously very concerned with the president. Congressman Eric Swalwell of California is also considering a run for the White House and tells us in a sit-down interview he's getting closer to a decision. The fourth-term representative has been an outspoken critic of President Trump, particularly when it comes to accusations of Russian collusion in the 2016 election. New Hampshire matters. It's always going to matter. And I don't think we can have a nominee uh, that didn't do well uh, in New Hampshire. Because if you, if you do well here, it's, me, it's because you understand you know, uh, you know, day-to-day uh, kitchen table issues uh, that people care about. And, and I, I think those issues are uh, that promise of America, which is if I work hard, I do better, and I look at my kids, and I can dream uh, bigger. For me, I, I feel connected to everyday folks. I'm the first in my family to go to college. Uh, my wife and I have two kids under two. I've got just under $100,000 in student loan debt. So I'm for the issues people care about because I live them every day, and I see that if the promise of America can make it to your neighborhood where you work hard, do better, and dream bigger, uh, that it can change your life. But I don't think it's making it to every neighborhood today, and I want to make sure it does, and that's why I'm even considering doing this. Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard has officially declared her candidacy, and several more current representatives are also weighing their own runs. Jean Mackin introduces us to them. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is a combat veteran serving in Iraq and Kuwait with the Hawaiian National Guard. She is prioritizing foreign policy, particularly military strategies in the Middle East and the war on terror. But her 2016 meeting with Syrian President Bashar Assad raised many eyebrows, as does her previously strong opposition to same-sex marriage. On that issue, she says she has changed her position and says unity and service are the key to protecting American democracy. When we raise our right hand and volunteer to serve, we set aside our own interests to serve our country, to fight for all Americans. Representative Seth Moulton of Massachusetts also has a military service record. He received the Bronze Star for his actions in the Battle of Najaf in Iraq back in 2004. He says he hasn't decided if he'll run and is downplaying talk of 2020, but he did recently visit New Hampshire and talked about one of the lessons he learned from the war. What it feels like to be betrayed by our country, or at least betrayed by the leaders in Washington. 
Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan is a frequent flyer to the Granite State, hosting fundraisers here. This past spring, the 45-year-old met with Democrats before delivering the commencement address at his alma mater, the former Franklin Pierce Law School, now the University of New Hampshire School of Law. One of the things we have to do is get people engaged. And former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke lost his U.S. Senate race to incumbent Ted Cruz, but won some significant name recognition. The 46-year-old is now considering entering the presidential race and says he'll be traveling outside Texas to meet voters. As we talked about earlier this hour, there are a number of U.S. senators likely to be running in 2020, but only one has the name recognition and a base of support significant enough to give him the title of frontrunner. 2016 New Hampshire primary winner Bernie Sanders hasn't made a definitive statement about what he's going to do, but his candidacy would reset the race in a big way. John DeStaso joins us now to help us unpack the biggest question of all right now, which is, will Bernie Sanders run for president in 2020? <laughs> I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. I'm not even sure that Bernie Sanders does right now, but uh, his supporters here, his core supporters, uh, within the last week or so have started to get some signals that Bernie Sanders is very seriously considering it. Is it safe to say if he runs that the pressure's on him, he has to win the New Hampshire primary? I would say absolutely. I mean, he, he's, he set the bar high. Of course, with, with a two-person race, 60% wasn't, you know, that's, that's a two-person race. If he's in a, a 10 or 12 or more person race, you know, the, uh, the winning percentage might be in the low to mid-20s. We'll have to see who's, who's actually candidates come, that, come the time the primary rolls around. But given the fact that he is, he is the one, I think he would have to, to win here. If he can't win in New Hampshire, his neighboring state, he will be going up against another neighbor, Elizabeth Warren. But at the same time, this is known now as Bernie country, at least it had been. Uh, we'll have to see now whether he can continue to you know, solidify at least a good part of the following that he had. If, this is all if he decides to run. But uh, yeah, I would say it's a must win in New Hampshire. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. New Hampshire has a deep well of political expertise, but how much does history matter in the current political climate? Campaign veterans with plenty of their own experience weigh in just ahead. And what about candidates with no political experience at all? We'll introduce you to some of the outsiders who are or could soon be running. I think you just don't like being told what to do. I'll never forget New Hampshire. I'm grateful to the people for what they've shared with me. The greatest political experience of my life is right here in New Hampshire. How do you do winter? Outside? Inside? Either way, we've got fresh ideas. Served up hot or cold. You ready? If you're after winter adventures, packed with powder, or ones brewed fresh, looking for action, or a break from it, Need a place to chill or somewhere to warm up? Make the season better. With New Hampshire Chronicle, get more out of winter. I really have to begin by paying homage to my parents, Mary and Fred. They're up there, they're looking down, they're saying, this is something very special. They love this country and they're very, very happy right now. So thank you to my parents. That was perhaps one of the most personal moments from then-candidate Donald Trump here in New Hampshire. Well, crafting a winning message here means figuring out what voters are looking for and then adapting as circumstances change. New Hampshire has a number of talented political advisors, including two well-known Granite Staters who are national campaign veterans. 
Democrat Jim Demers is backing Cory Booker. Steve Dupree sits on the RNC. We asked them whether conventional campaign wisdom still applies, especially in this giant field of contenders. What's the recipe for success in the first of the nation primary? Um, I think first, building a, a truly New Hampshire organization. You need uh, New Hampshire people who know how to run a campaign here. Um, you need to spend time here. And, um, you know, grassroots has become what it's all about. So this still is a state where you can come in with a little bit of money. As long as you've built a good campaign, you can drive your message and work toward a victory. And I think, you know, when you think about just how crowded this race is going to be, it's not going to take 51% to be the winner in New Hampshire. So figuring out, you know, what your lane is going after that, I think, can make for a victory for somebody. And Steve, uh, obviously you were with John McCain in 2008. That's one of sort of the iconic victories uh, in the New Hampshire primary. How do you get that job done if you're going from zero all the way to number one? I think Jim hit the nail on the head. The way McCain did is he was just, he wouldn't give up. The campaign collapsed in the summer of 2007 when, when it literally was insolvent. They cut the staff, he came up here, his name was already going to be on the ballot. He isn't a quitter and after, he, I mean, we literally did town hall meetings where there were more protesters against the surge outside than there were people attending the town hall meeting, but he just kept doing it over and over. And then the narrative sort of took hold that this guy just won't quit. I like that about him. That's what I see in a president. So I, I think Jim's right with the crowded field they have on their side, it's gonna be lots of groundwork here holding hundreds of town hall meetings and you know, somebody could win that primary with 20% of the vote. Hmm. It is amazing to see sometimes the candidates don't realize when the money and the staffers disappear, you could still come to New Hampshire and get something done. But has that changed at all, Jim, do you think, in light of 2016 and what we saw with Donald Trump sort of upending the establishment way of doing business? Well, I think what changed was the number of people running when there's as many as the Republicans had uh, two years ago, three years ago, um, it means you're going after a very small piece of pie to be the winner. But generally, the New Hampshire primary hasn't changed. It still is the place where the voters want to meet the candidates. They want their questions answered face to face. And any candidate who thinks they can avoid that won't do well here. People want to know your basic position on issues, but what they're really testing is your character, how, how they see you interact with people. People fell in love with John McCain because the guy wouldn't quit. He'd take questions from everybody who asked one, even the protester who was yelling, and he'd stay afterwards, much like Bill Clinton. I mean, Bill Clinton would engage with people, and, and people could see that he cared when they were talking about the fact this woman who couldn't pay her electric bills or her rent. They're, they're trying to size up what kind of person you are, and that's the value in New Hampshire. We not only vet them on issues, but we really put people through the paces. As you heard, all the strategy in the world only goes so far with New Hampshire's famously independent voters. Still ahead this hour, meet undecided voters who will track through the primary cycle to hear what they're looking for in the candidates. We also have much more coming up with the candidates themselves and why New Hampshire is so critical to their campaigns. How important, though, is New Hampshire to your campaign? Well, I came right to New Hampshire. And did one contender accidentally announce his candidacy? Are you running for president? More on the moment that might have even surprised the governor of Colorado as we introduce you to the ones to watch this primary season. Do you know Gomer's gollies? Golly! 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 Sergeant, I just can't get over it. Get to know Gomer's gollies on Gomer Pile. Sponsored by Heritage Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, Electric. 
The spotlight is back on New Hampshire. The world and the nation are paying attention to how we vote. For its pivotal role in the presidential election. It would cost about $104. A history-making field of Democratic presidential hopefuls shaking hands and taking questions. So how do we break the grip of farm Nearly 30 Democrats could get into the race, not to mention some Republicans, to challenge the president. They will lose if they want to get into the race. I don't think they will. But to get the nomination, they first need to convince Granite State voters that they are worthy of the White House. It's going to sharpen up the candidates. What you need to know about the ones to watch. Welcome back. I'm Adam Sexton. One year out from the first in the nation presidential primary, we're tracking an historic field of candidates with a lot of moving parts. Dozens of contenders are actively campaigning or exploring a White House run, and the list of names we're following is more than 30 long. And in this 2020 primary, no one can shake the memory of 2016, which catapulted an unorthodox candidate all the way to the White House. But does President Trump deserve a second term? Those arguing against that include former U.S. Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, who brought his campaign to New Hampshire less than a week after announcing his candidacy. Castro is one of four potential candidates with experience in past presidential administrations, but he's still considered a long shot, and he says New Hampshire will help him stand out. It's a state that uh, I'm going to compete in. I think I can resonate well with the voters here, connect with them, uh, and I want to do the hard work that it takes to win this primary. And certainly you did a lot of work on behalf of the candidates running for state and local office here in New Hampshire. You're not shying away from inheriting that mantle as sort of the underdog presidential candidate. But how does an underdog find a path to the White House in this current environment uh, where it feels like you need a big platform or sort of a, a going big to take on President Trump? Well, you know, I think that, uh, that people are actually looking for somebody that they can relate to as maybe not the front runner. And uh, the other day I announced in the neighborhood that I grew up in, in San Antonio on the west side. And I said that, um, you know, people could look around that neighborhood and could see that there weren't a lot of front runners, um, or nobody was a front runner that was born or growing up there, including me. And I don't, can't think of a single time in my life when somebody would say, hey, you're the front runner. The thing about folks here in New Hampshire and people across the country, especially these days, is I think there are a lot of people who don't feel like the front runner and I'm going to go and talk to them, and I'm going to show them how, if I'm elected president, I will make sure that I work hard so that they can get a good job, so that they can have good health care when they're sick, so that their children can get a good education, and that they are able to reach their American dream. Certainly being the front runner might not mean much if there are you know, three dozen candidates in the race. Are you preparing strategically for a Democratic primary with 24 to 30 candidates? I don't think that there would be that many people in it. Um, one of the things that I've seen very clearly just since I announced an exploratory committee on December 12th is how many moving parts there are to this whole process. I think ultimately that you're probably going to have uh, between 15 and 18 candidates. That's still a lot. That's about the number that ran uh, in the Democratic primary in 1976, in the Republican primary in 2016. Uh, it presents some challenges uh, to the Democratic National Committee. It also, of course, means that uh, the people here in New Hampshire who take their politics very seriously and try and get to know candidates are going to have a lot of people coming through here and a lot of work to do. But I think that all of us are going to be better for it. It's going to sharpen up the candidates. It's going to mean that the nominee is able to to 
be even stronger and better and sharper in the fall of 2020 against President Trump. While Castro has already announced he's running, there are other potential candidates with experience in prior administrations. Sharice LeClaire looks at some of those familiar faces who could have a big effect on the primary. Former Vice President and U.S. Senator Joe Biden is no stranger to the Granite State. Presidential campaigns in the 88 and 08 cycles sputtered out, but he became the go-to guy for New Hampshire during the Obama administration, visiting the state repeatedly. Yeah, I am an old hand at this, I tell you what. This time I got the right guy. Last time it was me. <laughs> this time, Biden is one of the biggest question marks as the early race takes shape. He was last in New Hampshire for a state Democratic Party dinner in 2017, tamping down speculation by saying he's not running. Close friends here believe he'd make a great president, but say he hasn't revealed anything about his future plans. If we ever stop thinking big, which we have of late, we're going to lose the soul of this nation. Former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder could also join the fray, but his last visit to New Hampshire came eight months ago in June 2018. Democrats who met him were encouraged to see more than just the straight-laced lawyer they knew as AG. Maybe you know that we come out for politics and eggs to kind of check out people for another reason. And I know there's no... No, I was not uh, aware of that. What is, is there's really? no uh, decision on that. I'm aware of that. You want to uh, hear my views on the NBA Finals, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> And there is still speculation about another political heavyweight entering the race, despite former Secretary of State and 2004 Democratic presidential nominee John Kerry's comments. Some think he hasn't completely closed the door on the idea. Democratic Governor Jay Inslee of Washington is putting climate change at the core of his message in what may soon turn into an official primary campaign. Governor Inslee says right now he's close to a decision about running, and if he jumps in, he wants to be out in front on climate policy, something he will impress upon first-in-the-nation voters in a place he says is instrumental to the process. One of the things about New Hampshire is that people really want to, you know, see the merchandise. Uh, I remember when I was here with Al Gore, somebody said, well, I don't, I'm not sure I'm voting for Mr. Gore because I've only met him three times. You know, and this intense focus and vetting process is really a great thing for the country. And I know people here just feel this is a huge civic responsibility that they internalize. And it's a really good thing to make sure these candidates go through the ringer and everybody gets a hard questions and everybody gets a look. And I think that's nice to New Hampshire. People want to get a look. And I feel good about that. History has been kind to those who ran states. 17 governors have ended up in the White House. This time around, besides Inslee, there are three other current and former governors considering getting into the race. Amy Cavino introduces us. Terry McAuliffe held the office in Virginia from 2014 to 2018. He's described as a high-octane governor who prides himself on job creation and a relentless push to expand Medicaid during his tenure. His most recent visit to New Hampshire was last October, campaigning for fellow Democrats in the midterms. When asked about a 2020 run for president, he demurred that he hasn't ruled anything out. Everybody has to make a decision. You know, is this something, can you take the country to the next level? And I think uh, a lot of us, I haven't ruled anything out, but in fairness, I haven't focused on it. Montana Governor Steve Bullock is still running the Big Sky State and says he's in no hurry to announce plans for a run for president in 2020. He was a guest on Close Up last August while campaigning in New Hampshire for fellow Democrats. His 2020 ambitions, he said, he's paying attention. 
I'm out listening and listening to try to see what this country needs. And for now, that's about as far as it goes. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper had an unguarded moment here at Roby's Country Store last October. WMUR was recording when it happened. I am Governor Colorado. I'm Governor Trump. Hey! You've never said it before? That's a big thing right here. Right here. That's exciting. To be honest, to be honest, I haven't made the final decision. Governors that might enter the race, but haven't yet committed to. Jumping from City Hall to the White House is not something we see often. But this time around, several current and former mayors are exploring presidential runs. That includes one of the wealthiest men on planet Earth, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. The Big Apple elected him as a Republican. But the Boston native is now a registered Democrat, and he says feedback from Granite Staters is a key part of his decision. I have a challenge of trying to explain it in terms that the public will understand. And if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. But I think the most important thing is to just be honest and true to yourself. And the worst thing would be to run, lose, and compromise your values. And I would never do that. If you look at the state motto, if you look at how the legislature picks when their primary should be, and you look at the history of this state, uh, one of the original 13, politics is very important in New Hampshire. And their responsibility as the first test for candidates is something that, if you look them in the eye, they take it seriously. And it is part of America. It's part of our culture and each campaign. That's the one thing you have in common. You know you got to go up and you got to make a case to the voters of New Hampshire. The mayor of mid-sized South Bend, Indiana, is also exploring a path to the White House. Pete Buttigieg says his comparative youth is an asset for finding a new way to do things. He's also touting his military service and reaching out specifically to LGBTQ voters. Perhaps the first generation where someone can announce a campaign for president with his husband at his side. It's an extraordinary moment. Another mayoral maybe includes former New Orleans mayor Mitch Landrieu, who's currently leading an initiative in southern communities to address racial and economic issues. In such a crowded field, what are the voters' criteria for candidates? Gene Mackin sat down with several undecided Granite Staters to find out what they're looking for right now. So we want to know, first of all, a year out, are you getting involved already? Already trying to make a decision on, you know, what I'm looking for in, in next round and, and all that. Yes, definitely. Yes, we've already been to a few of the candidates already. Look at that. So we're looking. How about you, Lauren? I've been looking online, looking at who's interested in running on both sides, Democratic and Republican. Wow. And I think, like Len, I'm you know, trying to formulate what I'm looking for in this next election. Tony? Same here. I'm looking at uh, characteristics uh, of uh, you know, what their past positions have been, have they changed, uh, really taking a serious look at their track record as they come up to um, raising their hands and saying that, I want to be the next president. It, yeah, that's a, that's a big thing to ask you also to make that decision. Mm -hmm. Looks like we're going to have a big field again. Mm -hmm. yes. What are you looking for to narrow that down for your vote? I think the first thing I'm going to look for is somebody to show some empathy, you know, towards the, the public, you know, feels like they've been in their shoes or understands where an individual is coming from, not feeling sympathetic, but it is empathetic. Almost yeah. like the common man or common woman? Yes. yes. Yeah. 
How about you, Lauren? I agree um, that the candidate's personality does matter. Um, I think the first thing I would look for is their tax returns. I'd love for them to oh, bring them to New Hampshire. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, I think that would be a first consideration. And you know, I I actually do respect a politician, um, a public servant who serves and wants to be president. I think, again, like Len said, um, the best way to know how they would be as a president is to look at their voting record um, on how they feel about issues and a track record of working and compromising um, you know, with all sides. Uh, that's going to be a big deal for me this year. How about you, Tony? S same here. Uh, and you know, in particular, what their their platform, so to speak, is is shaping up to be like. Um, you know, you think about um, the how well they articulate the problems that you know Middle America faces, and um, making sure that that doesn't get lost in uh, the politics. I kind of want to know how big name recognition plays into this. Are you looking for a name that New Hampshire or the nation knows? Not necessarily, in, in my, in my uh, way of thinking. Um, not, not necessarily. I, I would really want to hear um, uh, what they're, you know, how they'd address issues. And, and to Len's point, how, how are you going to pay for them? Uh, and you get it now that we can promise you that we want to do A, B, and C, but you know, how realistic uh, will that be when you get in front of Congress and the Senate? Name recognition was a big boost to President Trump in the last election, but not because he had a long political resume. Up next, we'll talk to his former national campaign manager about why so many underestimated his candidacy and the lessons this time around. Plus, 2020 will be the 100th year that New Hampshire's primary is first in the nation. But is there a threat on the horizon that could reshuffle the calendar? The primary date has always been set in the fall of the year before, and I don't expect this one to be any different. How California could force the Secretary of State to take action. Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR, but it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it, just two taps brings you back in the know. In 2015, Donald Trump started rewriting the traditional playbook for how to run for president. And to discuss how he upended the process and was so successful is former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. Thanks for joining us, Corey. Thanks for having me back. So uh, your sort of genius mantra was let Trump be Trump. Uh, that doesn't always work with every politician. and It worked with him. Uh, how is it that uh, so, such simple advice caught fire and took Donald Trump to the White House? Well, look, here in New Hampshire, we have a tradition for candidates where we want to have all these town halls. We want to bring them to all these house parties, and you meet one-off, two-off people. The first time we did that here in New Hampshire, we brought him to now chairman of the Republican Party, Steve Stepanak's house, who has a big house, not a Trump-sized house, but a big house, and there were 600 people there. The house was completely destroyed, and Trump said, this doesn't make any sense. We need bigger venues. So he rewrote the notion of going to these house parties and said, let's do one big event every time. We'll bring the media to us as opposed to doing nine or 10 events, and that's really transformed the way that people did it because he was such a draw. We had to adapt to his style, which was let's do bigger venues, let's do larger areas, let's bring all the people to me as opposed to me going to the people. And clearly that worked here in New Hampshire. 
people criticize sometimes the lack of retail uh, campaigning, but uh, I think they lose sight of the fact sometimes that when he got up on that stage, there was no teleprompter, there was no script, that was at least 45 minutes to an hour of, uh, as you said, Trump being Trump. That meant something to the people who were there listening. You know, he, he talked about it a lot during the campaign. Anybody can read from a teleprompter. But he would get up, and I've, I saw it so many times. He would take out a piece of paper, he'd write down three words on a, on a, with a magic marker, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, opiate problem, right? And then he would go on for 45 minutes or an hour, two, three, four times a day at the end of the campaign, talking extemporaneously about the issues that he thought were important. It would be a stem winder, right? He would start in one place, go somewhere completely different, then finish back up at where he started. And it's really an amazing talent. And it, enthralled the American people, not just here in New Hampshire, but across the country, to see somebody who didn't have a guitar, doesn't play an instrument, and was packing arenas around the country. So what happens uh, with Donald Trump, the campaigner, paired up with uh, being an incumbent? Look, it's, it's, there are so many advantages of being an incumbent president in office. The one disadvantage and what we've seen, particularly here in New Hampshire, is when a serious primary challenge is put upon an incumbent, whether you think of what Pat Buchanan did up here in 1992, or you think of Ross Perot running as an active third party, right? That forces the incumbent likely to lose, whether, you know, and that was obviously George H.W. Bush, Jimmy Carter, when Ted Kennedy challenged him as an incumbent, a serious challenge. So. What we're doing right now is making sure that this president across the country has all of the Republican support. He has a massive Republican following right now. It's in the 90th percentile. They're very happy. So encouraging challenges if they want to in the Republican primary, they will lose if they want to get into the race. I don't think they will. But the power of the incumbency is one where he has a megaphone that the Democrats won't have the same opportunity to get to the mainstream public that this president will have, and that's a huge advantage. Other candidates who have taken a non-traditional path to this point say that approach makes them better suited to lead the country. Next, that list includes one who has already put his money where his mouth is when it comes to economic policy. It's a bond that uh, will be with me for the rest of my life. They're good people. They care about our country. There's a great patriotism here. And we have to take that around the country now. You started it. Remember, you started it. How do you do winter? Outside? Inside? Either way, we've got fresh ideas. Served up hot or cold. You ready? If you're after winter adventures, packed with powder, or ones brewed fresh, looking for action or a break from it need a place to chill or somewhere to warm up make the season better with new hampshire chronicle get more out of winter welcome back president trump's journey to the white house has opened the door for a number of political outsiders to consider running one of those is andrew yang an entrepreneur who graduated from phillips exeter academy right here in new hampshire Yang has already visited the Granite State many times and is demonstrating in the real world his plan for a universal basic income by giving $1,000 a month to a Goffstown family. The Freedom Dividend would channel about $8 billion in new uh, buying power into the hands of uh, New Hampshire moms, uh, dads, uh, really any adult would have $1,000, and that would channel all this money that would go right back into the Main Street economy here in New Hampshire. It would go to car repairs, the occasional night out, tutoring and, and food for your kids, home repairs you've been putting off, and all that money would stay right here in New Hampshire. It would create about 15,000 new jobs right here. And that's what you need, because right now, those jobs are getting sucked up into the cloud 
by Amazon and eventually by the self-driving cars and trucks that are coming uh, to our highways very soon. And one state that has had a dividend in effect for 36 years, uh, and in that state, everyone gets between one and $2,000 a year, no questions asked. It's wildly popular, has created thousands of jobs, uh, and improves uh, children's health. And that state is Alaska, where they've had an oil dividend in a very deeply conservative state uh, for since the early 80s. Uh, and so what I say to people is like, look, what is the oil of the 21st century? And if you reflect on that question for a moment, you realize that the oil of the 21st century is technology, software, artificial intelligence, self-driving cars and trucks. Another outsider with the cash to make things interesting is billionaire and former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Schultz is on a book tour and is now saying he may run as an independent. That's despite his record of supporting Democrats, some of whom are saying he could splinter the vote and help the president get reelected. Nobody wants to see Donald Trump removed from office more than me. If I decide to run for president as an independent, I will believe and have the conviction and the courage to believe that I can win. I can't answer that question today, but I'm certainly not going to do anything to put Donald Trump back in the Oval Office. Schultz has not announced any plans to visit New Hampshire, but as an independent, he would not need to run in the primary. Another potential independent candidate is Mark Cuban, owner of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. The investor and entrepreneur hasn't ruled out a run of his own, although he said it would probably be bad parenting. And spiritual author Marianne Williamson says she's ready to overturn politics as usual. She says two months of exploring a presidential run, including book signings here in New Hampshire, have convinced her it's the right time. We really were caring about what is happening in our economy 10, 15, 25 years from now. We would be doing much better by American children. We're the only country in the world that funds our educational system by property taxes. If we cared about long-term peace on the planet, we would not just be preparing for war. We would also be finding ways to wage peace. You wage peace by expanding economic opportunities for women around the world and educational opportunities for children. A broad variety of options for voters. We'll find out if any of them can come out on top when Granite Staters cast their ballots on primary day. But what exactly will that be? The new factor affecting the election calendar when we come back. Do you know Gomer's gollies? Golly! 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 Sergeant, I just can't get over it. Get to know Gomer's gollies on Gomer Pile. Sponsored by Heritage Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, Electric. February 11th, 2020. That's the tentative date for the first in the nation primary. But the actual voting day won't be decided until Secretary of State Bill Gardner makes his decision later this year. There are a number of factors in play here. Number one being California. That mega state will be voting on Super Tuesday in 2020, which means its early voting process would begin before the New Hampshire primary at about the same time as the Iowa caucus. The law here says New Hampshire must vote before any similar election. So if Secretary Gardner decides that California is treading on our turf, the first in the nation primary is likely to move up into January. The law says that the primary tradition has to be adhered to. So whenever we have the primary, it's got to be on a day that honors that tradition. And the tradition has been that we're first. And since 1975, first by at least seven days. 
The parties are working very closely uh, with the, the Secretary of State uh, here, uh, both on the national and the state level, the Iowa parties uh, working with us. Uh, so uh, I, I think that uh, uh, any questions that are lingering out there will be uh, resolved. When one compares the uh, cost of the time that it would take to have such an impact in those states versus an impact in Iowa and in New Hampshire, uh, that I think that uh, candidates are going to come down on spending even more time uh, in, the, in the two early states. It's going to be months before we know what Secretary Gardner is going to do. The longest he's ever waited to set the date was until December 21st, so it could be a while. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.